Like your trillion dollar valuation for Apple or whatever it is has nothing on what the the winner of the wallet wars will be. If the wallet is where the identity lives, I can believe that. I think identity, I mean, you've already, we, we opened this conversation with, you know, identity being significant. I think NFTs, my favorite line on this one are NFTs are the stars in the constellation of your identity. The way you draw the line between the NFTs you own creates an astral symbol that you fucking align yourself under like them astrology people do. NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit clean. Welcome to another episode of Curated by Quantsnap. I'm Tyler, and on today's episode, we have Mac Flavel, the godfather and OG of NFTs, who was a co-founder of Dapper Labs and helped create CryptoKitties and NBA Top Shop. He has since founded the NFT studio Big Head Club, which is a team behind Stoner Cats, the NFT animated series with Mila Kunis. In this episode, we dig deep into topics such as the overall culture of NFTs and how it has evolved over the years, learnings from successful and unsuccessful NFT drops, and what it's like to work with some of the biggest brands in the world. Mac is a very animated and personable character with strong opinions that has contributed to his success and makes for a very fun and informative guest. So just a heads up, there's a bit of cursing throughout. We hope you enjoy the show. So I want to start with like this thing you said on Overpriced JPEX, and it really stood out to me. And he said, people don't buy content, people buy identities. Really? And NFTs are a placeholder for identities. Can we unpack that? Sure. Um, think about the vast majority of things that you buy that other people see. So there's a lot of people who will buy expensive clothes, but they don't buy no expensive underwear unless they're trying to take off their clothes in front of people. If you're young and you're trying to fuck, then you're like, okay, I better buy good underwear because hopefully somebody sees that. But like, once you're married and such, and once you're like, oh, nobody's going to see my underwear but the man or woman who already loves me, people stop buying good underwear. They're still going to overpay for their like outer layer fashion because all they're doing is signaling. So why do you buy clothes um number one reason is so that you don't freeze to death that's like the ancient reason that we as a species of animal clothe ourselves is because we're not furry and so we're like shit we better borrow other animals fur and we put fur on and we stay warm but the cost to stay warm um is like Measured in cents, not dollars. In this era of fast fashion, you could go buy pants that cost five bucks and t-shirts that cost two dollars at like the fucking Richmond night market, you know, wherever you get your shit. And you would serve the fundamental utilitarian purpose of fashion. And yet we spend a lot more than five dollars on pants and two dollars on a shirt because we are desperately trying to signal to each other what our values are and how we should rank each other in this constant game of hierarchying that we are doing with each other. Are you more important than me or not? Well, I better look at your watch and see if you spent a lot of money on it. Because if you did, then maybe you're important. I'd like to point out, I wear no watches, nor have I ever. But for that, I was on a call with somebody the other day. We were calling some investors for some other shit. And at the end of the call, he was like, he named both of their watches. I went through that entire fucking call without noticing they were wearing watches. And then he dropped some like fancy names that I can't repeat to you because I literally don't know. Uh, and he's like, oh, are you wearing a blah, blah, blah? And are you wearing a so-and-so? And they both were. And they were so fucking proud. And he called me after. And he's like, that guy's watch costs significantly more than your car. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. 
uh, I drive a Kia, to be clear. So, like, I ain't trying to show off with my car or my watch. But a lot of people are, and that's fine. But um, that's, that's, like, everything we're doing with fashion, the vast majority of what we're spending on fashion or on car brands, right? Like, my Kia has a fucking um, heat seater. First time. First time I ever had a heat seater in my car. I like that shit. Every time I get in my car, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of summer. I turn on the heat seater because that's my luxury moment. I'm like, I fucking mm. made it. I have a heat seater and it feels good <laughs> on my butt. It's warm. Uh, but but most of what you're buying with a car is not the utility or the like high German engineering performance, whatever. You just want motherfuckers to know that you can afford a Beamer. And if you can afford a Beamer, you actually have the taste to get a Benz or whatever it is. So NFTs allow us to like do all of that, but a digital space where we haven't had a lot of tools to do that signaling to each other so that we can rank each other so that we can step on each other on our desperate climb to the top of this fucking ladder that we call social hierarchy. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> How does that look though? Like, like as in right now it's been, you know, like, you know, you make uh, a pure PFP for example, right. And that's how you're signaling that. How does that look for an everyday person? Uh, well, first the everyday people have to own the NFTs and then you have to have, which they don't today. And then you have to have the venue where other people see it. So you can't showcase, you can't peacock shit. Uh, I don't know if I talked about the books on the overpriced JPEG, but, um, the, the single highest honor you can pay somebody if you walk into their house and they have a bunch of books is to pay attention to what books they have. That is the shit. If you own books, you desperately, desperately want people to triangulate who you are based on what you read. Oh, look, I read this. I read Ben Horowitz's latest book because I'm a startup motherfucker. And I read Walden because I understand the classics. And I have Dr. Zeus because I'm fun and interesting. Whatever, whatever it is you're trying to say about yourself, it's interesting to say it in books, especially because we don't really get to show them off. So it's a reasonably authentic either version of yourself or version of what you want to believe about yourself. Therefore, when you walk into somebody's house with a bunch of books, you go and stare at those fucking things. And, and, and you're like, oh, I also have that one, and I've been meaning to read that one. And it's really interesting to find common ground with people based on what they're reading. Uh, but books have the same problem as NFTs, is that nobody fucking knows. Like, I have a Goodreads account. Every book I've read in the last five or ten years is on Goodreads. Uh, and there's like three people who follow me on Goodreads who know what I read. Uh, that's kind of cool. I have that relationship with them. We don't have a Goodreads of NFTs. And, and for the most part, we won't. Like, y'all both seem like nice guys. I have no interest in going to your showcase or your whatever else and looking at your NFTs and then trying to ascertain anything about you based on that. That's not interesting to me. Um, but if we can insert those NFTs into the conversations that we're having, so if my Reddit profile, my Tinder profile, my Instagram profile have all got NFT representations of myself, now close your eyes, travel back in time, and remember the first great social network, MySpace. MySpace had a top eight. And who you put in your top eight was fucking everything. Yeah. All that mattered. All your rainbows, all the sounds, all the CSS alterations you did to that page didn't fucking matter. The only thing that mattered was your top eight. And the first change, I make this part up, but I just like to believe it's true. The first change that the CSS monkeys made to MySpace was turn the top eight into a top 16 and the top 32. Because it was really hard to pick your top eight friends. This is like a very, very, very public version of the high school cafeteria. Like whose table are you going to sit at? Well, that top eight is like 
it's the shape of a table. It was two rows of four. It was like people on both sides of the table. So in the construct of conversations that you're already having online, whether I said like MySpace or Reddit or Tinder is a good one. I tried to convince Tinder to put NFTs in their shit like five years ago. They laughed at me and I understand why. But that's where NFTs as identity matters. Not in your fucking, not on your bookshelf, not in this dedicated place where you go and you say, um, tell me about yourself through the NFTs that you've collected. No, it's got to be in the context of whatever other meaningful conversation we're having. I have in some insight into you based on your NFTs, but also that doesn't involve all your NFTs. That involves you curating a certain set of NFTs to wear in this digital mask in this context, because my LinkedIn NFTs are going to be very different than my Tinder NFTs, or for most people, they will be. For some people, they won't, but for most people, they will be. Makes sense. You know, it's interesting, by the way, uh, as you were speaking, I'm looking at the three books that I have right now on me, and it's kind of true. Show us. Show uh, us. I have The Snow Crash because I'm learning more about metaverse and stuff like that. Great book. Great book. Those and dogs I, are weird. Yeah. The other part is somebody recommended me for more business things, like how to negotiate, uh, never split the difference where, with Chris was for more like better, like interviewing skills or bigger negotiating. And then third is yeah. I'm trying to be more present. So I got the you are here, which is like a spiritual, like kind of being more present. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't share this with anybody. It's more like I'm doing it for myself. It's so true. But at the intersection of those three things is the person that you want to become. The yeah. you that you imagine yourself waking up tomorrow to be is somebody who has internalized the information of all of those three things. Very, very interesting. And, and then so so in what you're saying, basically, I think it makes sense. Like Tinder would probably be a big one because, you know, especially when you're young, like, all you can think about is, you know, from your high school time to like, you know, your early 20s, all you can think about is a partner, right? And, and who you want to attract and status. And, um, or fucking, but yeah. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> uh, but say, same thing with Instagram, right? Probably I would say in today's world, at least, Instagram probably will be one of those things as well. So do you think unless Instagram gets more, you know, TikTok's kind of becoming more... So you think that that's where we got to see the most impact here? In, in, and how do you think that it's going to evolve based on the platform? Mm, I don't know. I'm not that good of a product designer. Somebody working over there is really good at this, and they're going to figure out how to do a native integration that feels really smooth, that is not offensive to the people who don't know or like NFTs, but is a bang on for the people that do. Like One of the things that you probably want to orchestrate is a signal that you can only receive if you know it's there. Them 4chan motherfuckers, my little cousin, like years ago, he was, he was young, and he was just coming up, and we were talking. And he said some shit to me, and I thought he was mumbling or something. I didn't know what he was saying. And then I figured out that he was testing me to see if I was on 4chan. He was, like, using secret words that they say to each other. And if the other person says it back, like a password, like spies, then you know they're cool. And they're on 4chan, and you can, like, talk about 4chan shit. But I didn't know what he was saying, and so I missed the whole thing. You all, I mean, you're not going to go that far with the NFT integration in these platforms, but you almost want that. You want it to be the kind of thing, not where you bang people over the head with it, because that's annoying uh, for the people who don't have it. And to be clear, there's a bunch of fucking people who hate NFTs, and they will for a while. What I don't get, what I, so I get why people don't like NFTs, because I don't know if you've ever seen NFT people on the internet, but they're fucking obnoxious. They are genuinely and truly, like, obnoxious in most cases. But... NFTs are going to be really, really great for two groups of people first. I think they'll be great for a lot of people eventually, but for two people, artists and gamers. There's tremendous value in NFTs for people who want to make art and make a living making art, 
and people who want to play games and have fun playing games and own their assets and be able to get more value out of their games. And those are the two people who hate the shit more than anything else. Possibly, I just thought of this now, but possibly because they're on the front row of the obnoxious NFT dickbags prating themselves around the internet. Maybe it's just like due to exposure to the mouth breathers that are these fucking well, NFT people. Well, I think they're obnoxious because I think it's 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 something where most of them are young, right? And they have never seen this kind of success, right? And and it's got into their heads what it is, right? When you make that kind of money in like in like no time and you haven't really worked hard for it, you don't appreciate it. True. Also, most of those people haven't made that much money. Like some have. Some have made unbelievable so, amounts yeah, of money. So it's internet money. It's true as well. It, it, well, sense. and even that. So so yes, that. Yeah. But also, like the number of people who are running around as senior NFT consultants on LinkedIn. I don't follow those people on Instagram. I don't got no fucking Instagram. I don't have LinkedIn either, actually. But But if all you're doing is posting about the culture that is GM, alpha, <laughs> friends, like... The fucking hardcore signaling that these people are constantly engaged in. We have to change how you spell friends so that we can recognize insiders. That's really important to us. We don't say hello. We don't say good morning. We say GM and pretend we're special because of it. It is really, really weird. I shouldn't use that example. That'd be bad. But it is very, very weird. Tribal signaling. How fucking hard. These people are trying to draw a line between insiders and, and outsiders. Yeah. You are a, like us or you yeah. are not. I became such like a gatekeeping mechanism that like only over the past like, you know, a couple of months that people are coming in, they're like, oh, I thought this was like so hard and impossible, but it's really kind of like a case of gatekeeping. Mm. It's like, mm-hmm. a, like a cult mm-hmm. in that sense. It's like we are our own cult. Uh, I didn't say it. <laughs> hey, I'm, assume, I'm, I'm assuming it's what it's like. <laughs> um. Out of curiosity, like how, you know, assuming that our NFTs and wallets are our identities in the future, um, how do you imagine these identities communicating together? Or do you not see it like that? Do you don't see wallet as being an identity? Uh, I think you need somebody smarter than me to answer that one. Uh, I don't really know. Like, I've met some smart people who tell me that the wallet is like, the biggest business in the future. Apple ain't got shit. Like your trillion dollar valuation for Apple or whatever it is has nothing on what the the winner of the wallet wars will be. And um, if the wallet is where the identity lives, I can believe that. I think identity, I mean, you've already, we, we opened this conversation with, you know, identity being significant. I think NFTs, my favorite line on this one are NFTs are the stars in the constellation of your identity. The way you draw the line between the NFTs you own creates an astral symbol that you fucking align yourself under like them astrology people do. Uh, but, but I don't know if that concentrates in the wallet. I have no fucking idea. Here's what's interesting about identity and shit though. Um, the LinkedIn versus the Instagram thing, right? Like I had a friend who said to me, she was like, listen, she lived in New York and she was like, listen, every dude, let's see if I can get this right. Oh yeah. Every dude on Instagram in New York has a picture with a dog, is a part-time DJ and like scotch. That's table stakes for being like interesting in New York. And it's not interesting because it's ubiquitous. Everybody's got that shit. I'm like, okay, I've been madly in love and married to the same woman since I'm 18 years old. So I don't, I don't know. And I'm like 41. I don't know anything about online dating or Instagram or shit. I never lived that life. But, uh, but for most people, even if those, those three things are very banal, is that the word banal? Very, very like vanilla. You know, you're not going to fucking scare anybody off of that. But, 
your Tinder profile might be slightly more interesting than that. And your LinkedIn profile, if you believe in that kind of shit, is probably pretty buttoned up. It is for most people. And then there are other things that you're doing online. Maybe you have some interest that you're not super comfortable telling the whole world about. Maybe you like a one kind of porn that's like, fine. It's, it's not bad porn. It's just like, it's your porn taste. And you don't want to tell the whole world that. And maybe you also have some religious beliefs. You were raised in the church. And like, we live in this weird time where a lot of people don't like to talk about their religious beliefs. And that's fine. I'm pretty fucking cool with people not talking about their religious beliefs, to be honest. But that doesn't mean that your religious values aren't important and don't matter to you. And in all these different conversations you're having in line with all these different groups of people, whether it's on different subreddits, whether it's on different chat apps, whether it's on different whatever, the, the granularity of what difference is there, you essentially want to bring a different identity to that. Yep. And so in real life, we do that constantly. The most ridiculous dramatic version of that is, oh, let me take off my wedding ring because I'm going out to the bar tonight. Like that's some shithead shenanigan behavior. But you are transforming perception of yourself by doing some actions in a far more subtle way we just change our language. Oh, I'm at an interview. I'm not going to say shit, fuck, shit, fuck, shit, fuck. But if I'm hanging out at the bar with my friends, I'm like, yeah, man, like fucking look at her and shit. That was so cool, whatever. We naturally swap in and out of many roles. We are, we are, oh God, I'm going to pretend I've ever read Joseph Campbell, but a hero of a thousand faces or some shit. I bet you he was talking about something like this. I don't even know. I haven't read his book, but let's pretend. Um, whereas digitally, we've not been able to do that. And the most basic reason is because of the UX of this whole shit. Like, I have to go to my profile, switch my alt profile, change, um, don't make sure, make sure that these people don't know about my religion. And so there's like a bunch of explicit choices that you must make, filters you must turn on, toggles you must switch on or off if you want to change your digital identity. And in this world where we all have digital interactions, a digital first life like we're all leading, uh, identity in the wallet i don't know the wallet needs to become the best place to like tinder swipe through but not who you like who you want to represent yourself as and that's not being fake that is what we all fucking do constantly it's just that in this organic real world meat brain fucking space uh it feels buttery smooth it's more like water than than sand very cool uh, you know actually <laughs> i remember i can think of like Balaji talking about this a lot with like you know the different identities in the, in the future we have like different pseudonyms and like you know we we're doing different things with our different identities because especially with now with cancel culture and whatnot like you know you say something and you just like people start hating on you for some some particular reason but in the future like you want to be different people in in different places and I kind of wonder how that the whole the concept of the wallet kind of ties in with that it always like it's always like an interesting but it's also probably pros and cons there as well right because like if if that's the case, like, you know, it's like, it's like in web three, no one's putting the laws down, right? So example in web two world, let's say we, we get, let's say we give away our data or give away our address. We get the junk, junk mail in home, right? Or emails in our inbox. There is a authority which says, Hey, now you will be fine if you do that. Right. But in web three, there, how, how do you stop that? Like, how do you stop? Like if people know, example, let's say if I'm an ape holder, like you're obviously going to, people are going to try to take advantage of you, right? Because they're going to try to give you more spam. And how do you stop that, those boundaries there? I don't know how you do that. And to be honest, I don't want people to be able to constantly switch in and out of masks. Like as much as we're talking about swapping in and out of identities in different contexts, and that's something that we do in real life all the time, I want to know some things about people in a pretty consistent way. And so we don't want like, 
permanently superfluid identities, probably. We want some kind of like an anchor of identity that persists and then a soft outer bit that you kind of change the flavor on depending on what you're eating. Very cool. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, I think it's one of those one of those things which is like, you know, like the more you think about it, the more you're like, huh, it's, it's a wonder. It's like, it's like kind of looking into how humans behave and then kind of how that all ties in and then mixed with technologies. And yeah, man, it's so crazy. By the way, I want to take one step back. And you mentioned something about like NFT communities being being very like, uh, what's the word you used? Uh, obnoxious? Is that what you said? Uh, what you, what I'm, I don't know what yeah, I, said, I say a lot of shit. I'll, I'll use the word. I'll use, I'll say like short short-sighted or like very like wanting things like right away like uh, like that instant gratification uh, i was i was at at vcon and i heard mila and lisa's talk and and they, they were discussing how it takes those are two very smart ladies yeah it was actually i well, actually one of my best talks over there at uh, vcon um and and the reason is because when i was hearing them they were kind of talking about how it takes three months to make an episode and people in the nft stuff want we're building the nft uh market ecosystem one stuff right now it's like it's like hey what you know because the price will go up that way right um I, i'm just wondering based on your conversations at least what i kind of got out of it was like or i was thinking about it like you know behind the scenes when you guys are having these conversations my my initial thing was that the nft collectors are are they really the, the people are, are these people really the consumers and i wonder what kind of conversations were you guys having behind the scenes about uh, if anything you can share there about the learnings from the whole solar cats thing so one, the instant gratification thing is real. Um, NFT people want instant gratification. Part of the reason they want that is because they've been trained to have that. You can have an asset like 10x in value in days. And then once you get used to that flavor of fucking rocket fuel, that's all you want to drink. And so... Um, that, that's, that's tough for creators in this space. If that's where you set the bar, if that's what you think normal is, uh, that's fine. Like set your normal bar, whatever you want, you know, that's, that's your business, not mine, but finding other things that can match that pattern, especially when we get out of this time that we are in, like we are in the wild, wild West of NFTs. It was very fun. And it was very exciting and fortunes will be made and fortunes will be lost. Uh, but, but, um, there's a bunch of things in life that don't move that fast, including making cartoons. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I would say that. I would say that, like, the vast majority of people who buy NFTs are not consumers of NFTs. If you, if you, if there was, if God himself or herself, if God herself stepped out of the woods tomorrow and said, there's a new ultimatum in town and, uh, NFTs don't get to go up in price. That's it. Whatever price you buy the NFT at, you might be able to sell it at that price. Might be able to sell it for less, but the price is never going up. I tried to make NFTs that would do this. I was like, we got to fucking find a way to program the smart contract so you literally can't sell it for more than people bought it for. My team told me to fucking go home. But uh, I like that, though. <laughs> That's a good fucking That'd be idea. interesting, right? The Part of the problem with it is that... um. People just work around it. Like if it really became a valuable commodity, there's there's no way to meaningfully enforce it. But if you if you could meaningfully enforce that concept, 
Um, 90% of people today who love NFTs would never buy an NFT again. Most people who buy NFTs buy NFTs because it's an easy way to make money. And I think that's super fucking boring. I understand that they're doing that. And I think that's their prerogative. They should, you know, I, I ain't here to tell anybody else how to live their fucking life, including those people. I just don't find it to be compelling or fun or whatever. Um, so, so when you ask about like the, you said something about the consumers of these things that like the people who are buying NFTs for the most part, they don't love the art. They don't love the idea here. They're just, they're trying to make easy money. We saw this at CryptoKitties. As soon as it wasn't dead easy to make a profit, the market bled out. It just it fucking went to nothing. And I seen people get tattoos of my cats on them. We made a zombie kitty. It was one of the first fancy cats. And there was a dude, I think in Lithuania, which was fucking cool, who got a, um, a, a tattoo of the zombie cat on his knee. And so when we were going and like pitching and, you know, getting brands on board or raising money, whatever we're doing, we would show pictures of that because that was like, this is conviction. Like we've created IP that people believe in and care about and has staying power. There will be a legacy here. But it was the exception that proved the rule. Everybody else just wanted to make easy money, not even make money, make easy money. And when that wasn't the thing, they got out of it. I think that's still true about NFTs today. And I think it's... Um, so I spent a long time at Big Head trying to deny that or trying to be like, we're not going to build for those people. And I would say that I was wrong. You have to accept that a tiger will not change its stripes. And we're in a jungle with tigers that are striped. Those are the stripes of these fucking tigers. I'm not saying that you have to bow completely to that worldview, but it is wrong to ignore that that is the ecosystem that we currently exist in. I would like to build an ecosystem where the floor price of the NFT mattered a lot fucking less than it did today. The other side of this argument, of course, is people going and spending a fuck ton of money buying your JPEG. Like, a lot of money. So, yes, they fucking care about the lot of money that they put into the JPEG. That's also a very reasonable perspective. So, when did you... Was it, like, after... Stoner cats minted and how the market was playing out that you kind of made that realization to let you had to like switch mentally to like you can't just ignore like you know the no I don't learn nearly that fast I uh I I'm I'm a slow learner I I kept fighting that shit on and on and on it's only recently that I've really been like no no come to terms with the with the fucking crowd that you travel with like we travel with heathens we are not sacred we are profane. That's okay. Let us be profane together. And so I've been flipping more NFTs lately. <laughs> I've bought hundreds of NFTs in my life. And until like a month ago, I'd probably sold three NFTs in my life. I don't exhibit normal NFT purchaser behavior. I buy that shit because I like it. I own the art. That's it. Uh, but lately, I've been buying things just trying to flip them. And, and I feel kind of dirty, actually. Totally <laughs> candidly, I'm like, oh, this is like icky. This is this is kind of gross, but it's fun too. It's, it's but, also just like fucking gambling. How I look at it is, I think about people who are buying the NFTs are the investors, right? So you you are they're they're funding your project to build a product for a different segment that is the consumers. However, all the roadmaps and all the stuff that's been built usually is being, which which is being catered towards the investors where the investors don't really care about that. Investors care about like, you know, my return, right? Um, I'm just wondering uh, with your conversations with like, you know, example, like with with Stoner Stoner Cats, 
I can understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to build basically a Netflix show that will be, you know, similar to that, right? Which is kind of like Family Guy in a sense, right? But for that, which is a concept that is more like something that won't Netflix wouldn't do, right? So did, was there ever in, in their in their plan that how are we going to market this? I'm sure they have always have a big brand, but I, I was wondering, like, how was that kind of mindset? Was that like with respect to how are we going to get this to the masses who are not in the NFT ecosystem? Two things. One, if you buy a Big Head Club NFT, you are not making an investment. Yes. You are not investing in Big Head NFTs. You are buying art that you like. That is what you are doing. You are gaining access to a community. You might like that. You might like the roadmap and the utilities, but you are not investing. Let it be said. That said, how does Stoner Cats think about going mainstream? Let me give you a slightly roundabout answer. We did Ghostbuster NFTs. We did the official Ghostbuster Afterlife NFTs. And uh, they didn't do very well. I'll be honest. They, we didn't sell very many of them. And they weren't very well loved. And we could do an entire very interesting post-mortem on that, which I'm not interested in doing today. But but very interesting conversation. Um, it was a great movie. Sony were absolutely fantastic partners. Um, Jason and Gil, who created the NFTs with us and the writer and director, they were amazing. Like Everybody brought their best uh, dancing shoes to the game. And it still didn't do particularly well. Um, worth noting that at Ghostbusters.com, there was a button in the middle of the website that said, mint your official Ghostbuster NFT. Everybody who saw that URL like Ghostbusters by definition. Uh, also, we sent an email to one and a half million people who self-identified as Ghostbuster fans with a link to mint your Ghostbuster NFT. And we still couldn't get people to buy those fucking things. So when you ask what Stoner Cats was doing to go mainstream, Mila has put in a ton of effort on that stupid-ass chicken wing show on YouTube that everybody watches. She went on there. She talked about Stoner Cats. She went on Dax podcast, the armchair expert thing, which I hadn't heard of, but a bunch of people have heard of. She went on fucking Ellen, and they did a whole bit where, like, there's a Stoner Cat in the dressing room on Ellen, and animated little Fifi is hanging out in the dressing room on Ellen. And none of that shit matters. It didn't convert. It doesn't move the needle. Like, you'll get, a, you'll get an article, a press article about it. But we learned with CryptoKitties back in the old days. And, and lots of things have changed in the NFT ecosystem, but lots of things haven't. And um, I was in the New York Times. One of my many claims to fame is that I was the first person to say neckbeard in the New York Times. I was in most major publications you can name. And every one of those articles, based on release date and then tracked to CryptoKitty sales, had exactly zero fucking impact. Did not matter. Hmm. The conversion from what was that to I now own my first NFT involves like 12 trials that make fucking Hercules shit look easy. The cleaning the river that he did, cleaning the stables or whatever, nothing compared to fucking KYC on Coinbase. And then trying to get MetaMask to work and shit. That's like fighting a fucking nine-headed hydra or whatever he had to do. Like, there's so many hurdles. And so I'm over trying to convince people to download the shit required to get the first NFT. If you don't own an NFT, I do not want to help you get it. Let somebody else carry that cross. What I would like to do is help you get your second to 200th NFT, but the first one, not my shit. That, that was like also, um, I think at some point last year, like John Cena was like, I'm going to make an NFT. And he put out some like low effort NFT and like they thought they're going to sell like a million and I think they sold like 30 or something. And they were like, what the hell is going on? I'm John Cena. And it was such like a humbling moment for them. <laughs> totally, totally. 
And yeah, like it really is just so fucking hard to get started. And that's assuming somebody even wants to. Like there is so much misinformation and accurate information about NFTs in the world that has so many people not liking them that, you know, I mean, Mila Kunis is um, incredibly smart, beautiful, resourceful, plugged in, deeply networked. And she has put a lot of effort into telling the world about stoner cats. And it still hasn't really worked in the sense that your mom is not asking you about stoner cats. Your mom might not be asking you about family guy either. I'm not sure. But like, you know, we're early, I guess. I guess that's the whole fucking thing here. It's like getting people to get on Facebook in the beginning of Facebook. Nobody would do it. Eventually you're like, oh, that girl you liked in high school is posting pictures of herself on Facebook. You're like, whoa, I better download a Facebook account or something. I love it. <laughs> but we don't have that movement for NFTs. The only reason people hear you should get into NFTs is because you're going to get rich. And the only way people are making that much money in NFTs is because it's a scam and they're scamming people and it's all a fucking scam and that's immoral and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's like the only reason you're getting it is because you heard somebody else, your friend made money and you're like, oh, I want to get and jump on that train. Um, out of curiosity, like, so with, with example, with Top Shots, though, like you guys had like, a, you know, you can pay via a credit card, right? So do you think it would change if example, you, you use example of like uh, Ghostbusters, you think that would change if if it was a, rather than setting up a MetaMask and all that and you just pay via a card? Would that, you think that would be better? Totally, deeply. Most people on earth who own a credit card have used their credit card online. I don't know that as like an actual fact. I don't have a stat for you, but I'm going out on a limb here. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that the number of people who have a credit card, but have not put it into a website is approaching zero. Uh, Either you don't have a credit card or you've used a credit card on the internet. Those are kind of like the two states of the world. And so, yeah, if you're like, Hey, you can buy this fucking JPEG, this video, this, whatever, just put your credit card in here. And yes, it's weird, but literally millions of other people have done it, including three of your friends. And maybe maybe they did not sell it for a bunch more money. Everybody would do that. And, and, and sort of did. Like, MoonPay is helping get us there, I guess. I've never used MoonPay, but it seems that way. Topshot did have really explosive growth for a long time. Uh, all of that accessibility stuff matters a lot and will help us a lot. Especially just getting people like... Mm, yeah, it'll it'll help a lot. I I uh, I've been going to the gym lately. Before pandemic, for the first time in my life, I quit smoking. I quit drinking. I started going to the gym, and uh, it worked because my work wife, this guy named Pierre, also acting as first employee, I introduced him to them. He would make me go to the gym with him, and that was really really helpful. Now I've started going back to the gym because one of my oldest friends is going to the gym every day. And so he's like, dude, you have to fucking come. It's the, you know, we are people, we are social creatures, people get us there. I remember the first person who got me, <laughs> the first person who tried to get me into Ethereum, tried to do it like way, way back, before the fork and everything, and I couldn't figure it out. I, cu- I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on. It sounded interesting and weird. I walked away. The second time, it was my friend Cassidy. And she was like, hey, like we're starting to do Ethereum things we should probably buy some Ethereum. Like you should go through that experience once yourself and understand what it is. When you talk about your cat fucking on Ethereum blockchain, you should have any concept of what you're talking about. And so I only ended up getting an Ethereum and I'm glad I did because then I bought a CryptoPunk for $35. The only reason I did any of that is because Cassidy essentially like held me to task. I had to have a human being that I knew and trusted 
be like, dude, let's go. If you need help, I'm two steps ahead of you on this journey. I will turn back and help lift you up. And uh, so getting us there is a big thing. Having that, having that um, accountability buddy, essentially, it's not quite it, but like almost an accountability buddy, plus having credit card processing payments, plus having a firsthand story of somebody you know being happy that they bought an NFT. When it stops being like, oh, my cousin's best friend's neighbor made $100 million buying a fucking board ape. And it starts being like, oh, yeah, my brother keeps buying this weird art that makes him really happy. Yeah, you also have to have drive as well, right? Like you're, um, like you're the kind of person, obviously, I can tell you're the kind of person who wants to improve and, you know, get better and stuff like that. But if, if you know, your friends can only help you enough, right? Like you, you can't just like, can't like artificially, you know, get drive in somebody. I don't know how much drive I have. I don't know how much ambition I have. I tend to optimize for hedonism, to be honest. I with looking at your success though, I wouldn't I would say you would have to have drive, otherwise how how are you where you are today? You know? Might just be really, really, really lucky. Yeah, I see, but luck has luck is still a factor of action though, right? Like I, I listened to your thing about being in going to eat Waterloo and stuff like that. Like that was like that time. Like, you know, with luck that factor, you don't do that. Even if you're doing a job, you have to push your, your things to get to that point, right? Like only get too far. I would tell you that I am a lucky workaholic. I I fucking work constantly uh, and have for like decades. But I'm really like, man, I'm gonna give you. I, I've used this one on a bunch of these talks. But um, my friend Kenshi, who is the CEO of a Thinking Ape and is um, deeply connected to the Manifold crew, him and I were talking about luck one time. And he described it something like, God, I don't even know if it was him. I think it was him. Kenshi's smart as they fucking come anyways. All good things come from Kenshi. Uh, and Kenshi said to me, he said, luck is like being hit by lightning. And some people get hit by lightning more than once. And then other people are like, why are you so lucky? Why do you keep getting hit by lightning? And the answer is because I'm standing on the roof in a rainstorm holding a metal rod while you are watching Netflix. Exactly. It is luck. Yeah. Like, you couldn't make it happen, but you could dramatically increase the odds yeah. of it happening. But, but my, I might be lucky in that sense. My, my buddy and I, we have this uh, kind of value where we believe that life is just a numbers game. Yeah, it's just more, shot, more shots you take, you're bound to get lucky because you get smarter, obviously, and then you're just playing the odds. It's simple as that. It's like you just... Let let the math don't get your emotions all let the math do the talking here. And this kind of I've heard about um young men who are very good at meeting women at the bar. And the way they do that is literally just ask everybody for their yep. numbers. Yep. Like ask you. They have no fear of rejection. It's like you get your number. Nope. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. I'm ask her next. And then her. Again, madly in love and married since I'm 18. Not my shtick. Don't know anything about that. But the numbers thing is absolutely real. It's actually funny you say this, by the way, because some context. I, I've worked in the past with about three three biggest dating companies in the world. Like I've like branded advertising and, and like stuff like that. And I know people like who, who had the biggest dating channels and whatnot back in the day. And I asked them like, and they told me behind the scenes, like, I'm like how did you get good? Like, you know, because usually when people get into that, they were not good and they had to learn and achieve that, right? And they basically said that, you know, Whatever bullshit thing you hear in the news is, is crap. The only way they got good is they went straight to a bar, no matter Monday, no matter Tuesday, no matter Wednesday, for like 60 or 70 days straight or something like that. 
And what happens is when you go like once a week or one twice a week, you learn something, but then you forget about it and you start to start again. Sure, consistency helps like if you keep on doing it for years, but if you want to get fast, it's just as simple as that as a compounding. So if you go every day, you just pick, you, know, you, you just say that I have to be here for four hours. You just, and you keep on doing it, you keep on doing it, you just get better and better and better. And that in a small time, that, that the speed just becomes so much better and you get fast, you get good fast. So exactly, it's just numbers game. This is why, in theory, the tsetse fly or the mayfly is the most advanced form of life on our planet. They have a 24-hour lifespan, which means that the entire... So if you think Darwin is right, and I don't know anybody who doesn't, then like we're trying to do things. We're trying to eat until we can fuck so that our genes pass on. Yeah. That is the entire game of, of life as we know it. Survival and replication. Yeah. The best way to do that is to be the anti-elephant. The blue whale's fucked. Those guys make like... Six babies every 200 years. I don't know how long a blue whale lasts. But like these big ass animals that have babies every X extended period of time are only rolling the dice six times in 200 years. Whereas these little flies with a 24-hour life cycle who are having babies in that 24-hour life cycle are iterating on their formula for success on their genetic lottery or genetic rhythm. Uh, They're basically the equivalent of going to the bar every day for 70 days in a row. They, they are just rolling the dice that much more frequently, which would lead one to believe that they are the most sophisticated, well-evolved, uh, successful form of life on our planet. Very cool. Love it. A little bit of, of a shift. Um, I guess, when were you at Dapper Labs until? COVID, actually. till the beginning. I left at the beginning of COVID. Oh, so you, so you weren't like in there while the whole, while Top Shot was kind of... Grinding I went slowly. to New York and I sold the basketball people NBA on Top Shot, but then and then I spent a while working on the product itself. But I left before it launched. What were you just like? What was your feelings or just how was like in like February and March of last year? Just like what was going through your mind with all that? Mm, did I fuck up? Should I have stayed? <laughs> that was a big thought. Was like, oh my god, I think these guys are about to make a lot of fucking money. Oh man, what did I do? Uh, it's equity and everything. But even from like the NFT standpoint, that like aside type of thing. Um, it was. I was. I was making games because that's what I do. Uh, and a couple things happened at once. One. A guy who I knew from before, from the Dapper Days, who was like a manager for a couple Grammy-winning rappers, reached out to me and was like, Mac, we really need you to make NFTs with us. Please come make NFTs with us. Let's go make NFTs. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And then the people who became Manifold Gang, aka a thinking ape guys, plus Richard, who I've known for fucking ever. Not your Richard, but like, you know, other Richard. Uh, they were like, "Dude, have you been have you been paying attention to Clubhouse?" And I was like, "No, I deleted that fucking thing a long time ago." And they're like, "Okay, well, get your ass on Clubhouse and come see what the kids are up to." There's twenty four seven blabbering about NFTs, and you are the best fucking talker we've ever met, and you know more about NFTs than anybody that's ever existed. You need to come talk on Clubhouse about NFTs. And so we did. <laughs> and I did that with uh, Eric and 
Wilkins and Kenshi and uh, Richard. And those two things are coming together. It was one of one season. And even not one of one, but like it was the, you know, the, the fucking full moon of Nifty Gateway where everybody was doing their open editions and everything was on Nifty Gateway. And I spent lots of time just looking around being like, huh, this is, this is, this is interesting. This is exciting. This is weird. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of emphasis on this, like, day trading and flipping and alpha in the discords. That, like, the weird thing is probably, or maybe it's not weird. To me, it's weird, sort of, is that I'm not on the inside circle of NFTs. Like, all of the all the cool kids of NFTs who are messaging each other in Telegram groups and are super worried about that Telegram leak that's coming out, or maybe it's coming out. You guys see that shit? Somebody's like, hey, there was a there was a bug in Telegram. We tried to report it to Telegram. They didn't do anything. So we've been eavesdropping on every major player in the NFT space for the last year and a half. And we are doxing all of them and everything they've ever said. This is like all the rage on Twitter right now. I'm not in in any of those conversations. <laughs> so I didn't say anything wrong anyways. You can look at my fucking telegram. Go look at my signal. I ain't got no secrets. I'm not very good at secrets. Uh, but... Fuck, I don't even remember what I was rambling about. Something about the inner circle, and I'm not on the inner circle, and that's fine. I'm pretty okay with that. Uh, Twitter, Twitter, NFT. Yeah, I guess like one of the biggest like change was just like going from it's fun, maybe it's an investment to like the most volatile like, day trading of like all time. It's like I didn't sign up for this, but now I'm thrown into it. I'm in the middle of it. Pick <laughs> a job. It's not an investment, Tyler. This is. <laughs> I don't care what you do with anybody else's shit or what you call it. I'm just telling you, big head club tokens are not investments. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I don't know if you heard this on the overpriced JPEGs. I don't remember what I say where, but um, my understanding is that... Okay, I have this little thing that 20 years ago, as a North American, uh, Texas No Limit Hold'em took over the fucking world. You couldn't escape it. You could throw a rock in any direction and you would hit a house... And there was a group of men, maybe one woman, in that house playing Texas No Limit Hold'em. Hell, maybe there was groups of women and I wasn't at those tables. I shouldn't be so presumptuous. But there was people playing Texas No Limit Hold'em all over this fucking continent. Everywhere. It was everywhere. And then it was on ESPN and it was on every night and all the shit. I've truly, I don't think in my life I've ever seen anything maybe except like Trumpian politics uh take over at that scale like go that viral and for a year it was inescapable i'm pretty sure that something of almost the same scale not quite but almost the same scale happened with day trading so between robin hood which had no fee trading and wall street bets the subreddit that everybody used to gather on the new thing for like the guys who would have been playing poker 20 years ago, who all secretly wished that they could make a living making poker, they really thought they were that good. Like, their friends didn't recognize it, but their friends didn't know. Really, they just hadn't had their chance, and they were that good. And it was this fun hobby that you were losing money at, but you thought you were good enough to get rich at. Day trading was that same shit last year or the year before. And those people got bored. They'd never been able to day trade before because technology didn't make it easy. But then the Robin app came up. And those people were getting bored of Robinhood and day trading and the pandemic kicked in and they saw Topshop and they're like, oh, we're bros who know how sports work and we know how to trade shit and the price is going up. So they like en masse migrated to Topshop 
And then they got bored of Top Shot and en masse migrated onto Ethereum at about the time that the apes launched. One hypothesis is this is why the apes did what the apes did because, I mean, great art, smart team, all that. Like, I'd never take that away from them. But we're all victims of luck. And arguably, it was just that movement of, like, herds of people, like, buffalo across the fucking plains of Africa, water buffalo, whatever you call these things, that um, that that ended up in apehood and in day trading NFTs. And, again, like, I understand that people love that, and a lot of people made a lot of money and all power to them. I like weird art. That's why I keep buying NFTs. And and not being able to sell them or make any money or anything at all. And then even like with art blocks, it was another like, few months. Like you had the crew that was like actually enjoyed and liked the art and art blocks. And all of a sudden, you had like the Fidenzas going for like three hundred ETH or something, just absurd. After it was, it was such a niche thing for for a while. Yeah, yeah. Art blocks is really interesting. I've heard art blocks described as like they never wanted the success they had. They knew that it was going to fuck up the long term success of art blocks for it to be as wildly popular as it was. I think that makes a lot of sense. You guys know the Black Lotus story? So, Magic the Gathering, big ass card game, like the card game. The craziest thing about Magic the Gathering is that it still exists. That thing started in the 90s, maybe 94 it came out. And, uh, what are we, like 30 years later, and it's still huge. It's probably bigger than it ever was. That's that's an incredibly, incredibly hard thing to do, to design a game, to design IP, to design an analog thing that lasts for 30 years. And uh, early on, they had a card called the Black Lotus, which was wildly overpowered. If you got the Black Lotus card, like you just ended shit. And so it became very, very, very valuable on the secondary market, which in that case was like even pre-eBay. It was just at the stores and shit. And uh, I think that thing was selling for $20,000. And Wizards of the Coast, the people who make Magic the Gathering, came out and said, listen, if there's ever a card that starts selling for that much money, we will flood the market with that card. There is no way you will ever, as a community, be able to value a card this much again. We guarantee you we will destroy the market for anything that you place this much value on. Which sounds fucking crazy, but probably a very bad moment for Dapper, though nobody realized it at the time, was when a LeBron James moment sold for $232,000. That's fucked. Where do you go from there? You, You... you, if you're Wizards of the Coast, you're like, we'll never let that happen again. We are going to make sure that can't happen again. Now, when somebody's just spent $232,000, they do not want to hear that you're going to flood the market to, like, what other investment. But um, I think that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of wisdom in that idea that we won't let things become too rare or too valuable. And it's very anti-NFT in its thinking. And I think it's worth noting that everybody who you hear talk about being those senior NFT strategists on LinkedIn who've now been thinking about NFTs for 12 months. Uh, they ain't Wizards of the Coast who've been at this for 30 fucking years and they're still making God money every year. Be like the Wizards. I love that. Yeah, it makes total sense though, right? Like, we're, yeah, I mean, whenever I think about my NFT collections, all these companies building stuff, I'm like, is it really valued this much? Like, where does it go from here exactly? Even because they're just built on hype. Um, yeah. Out of curiosity, where do you think the crypto bros are going right now? 
joking. You know, to be honest, if I knew that, I would be over there trying to sell them some shit. I would not be talking to you. I would be out there on the street hustling to those motherfuckers. That's exactly what I would be doing. Um, I'm joking. Where do I think they're going next? It's an interesting question. I don't think I know the answer. But it's, it's yeah, I mean, they have a short attention span. They were uh, captured by goblins for a minute there. And who knows what's coming next? Um, I want to know more about like these, you know, these big brands, like because you obviously you dealt with the NBA, had conversations with the NBA, and like I'm sure you had conversations with a bunch of other brands, and and like people like who are legacy web two, like even with influencers and whatnot, like where is their head at, and what's going on? What kind of conversations are you having? Like, Coolest thing about blockchain, those people don't like, and we don't talk about or do anything about in blockchain now, which is extensibility. So the craziest thing about CryptoKitties was like the day after we launched. That's exaggerating. Within a week of launching, there were multiple Chrome extensions built by the community because we had built an inefficient product. They were like, hey, we want to know the rarity of this attribute, and you won't tell us. So we've built a Chrome extension that anybody can install that you can do that shit with. And then people came along and said, you know what we should do, actually? We should build... Hats on cats. That would be fucking cool. And so people came along and built kitty hats. And then some other people came along and built kitty races. And you could race your cats. And then a fourth group of people came along. They weren't the fourth, but this time they're probably a dozen. And they made a CCG for your crypto kitties. All these different people came along and extended the kitties brand and the consumer experience and the product. And um, that was really, really fucking neat. That is a really, really, really big idea and a very cool part of blockchain that is not being explored in this Web3 iteration of blockchain. Everybody calls it Web3 now. Um, so the conversations with the big IP and big brands, Roham used to say it's like trying to get them to use social media and blogs 15 years ago. Hmm. When you first went to these people and were like, yeah, we're going to put your clip on the YouTube and people are going to watch it for free. They'll be like, the fuck you are? We will sue you out of existence. We will bring all the furies of hell upon your doorstep should you let our logo appear on the YouTube. And now, people would pay like their child's fucking left limb in order to get to the top of the YouTube algorithm and ranking. Because we understand that we can drive more business value if we can create awareness. Loosely, that's like, and I think he's right, that's how people were thinking about Web3, blockchain, NFTs. What do you mean somebody's going to own a digital asset that includes our brand on it? No, they're fucking not. They totally will not. Um, so I'm trying to make two points, failing to make either. One is that they are generally scared the way they were scared of YouTube, but there are lots of very smart, thoughtful people who work at these big companies, who get it, who have the vision. They have to convince a bunch of people in their office who pay them, and that's hard. You know that old adage, nobody gets fired for buying IBM? Like if, you, if you're if you like, oh, we should buy this IBM software or hardware, and then it breaks, nobody's like, why the fuck did you say we buy that? It's like, oh, yeah, IBM fucked up. But when you're like, oh, we should back this cool new startup, and then that startup goes AWOL, you also get fired for making that recommendation. Uh, so that's a real thing. But then the other thing is, notice that there's no extensibility around Topshot. Nobody's ever built a Chrome extension that makes Topshot cooler. And I assume that the dapper terms 
are very, very fuck you to death if you try and extend this brand. And I understand why, because you definitely, definitely don't get to put a cock on Steph Curry's forehead. And you don't get to put a swastika on LeBron James' forehead. And that is a consequence of true extensibility, is you can go put whatever you want, right? You can't do that shit. The NBA cannot afford for that to happen. And so what Dapper did, and, and this is probably a very important step to the down-the-road path of true decentralization, is this partial decentralization, partial decentralization of getting there. And uh, that is, yeah, this like sort of limited uh, blockchain-iness, limited Web3-iness, and that means no extensibility. And you need to do that to get the big brands comfortable. And that's fine. Some of them are really fucking weird. Every once in a while I talk to somebody who's like, no, let's like, let's just fucking go. And it's very refreshing, but mostly and understandably, even again, a lot of people get like some of the big ideas here, but they're not able to drag their entire Fortune 500 brand into the future. And so they are treading carefully and I respect the hustle. That's not bad. Start there. Yeah. Not taking any brand names, but is there anything that's non that's not in non confidential that you're seeing some ideas that are popping up, some cool things that you think that will happen soon or like in the works? I am working with a company that's going to end up handing out more NFTs than anybody any other company on earth, and they're a Fortune 500 company. And I believe I believe firmly that in three months they will have distributed more NFTs than there are CryptoKitties, which is 2 million. More NFTs than there are Topshop Moments. I don't even know how many there are of those. It will truly be the most ubiquitous NFT product on Earth. And it is from a Fortune 500 brand. But I'm not going to talk about who right now. Oh, sure. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mac. Appreciate you. Yep. You're doing this, man. This was so much fun. That was, that fun. was fun. Yeah, thank you. This channel is intended purely for educational purposes and does not constitute financial or tax advice.